0: I have faced good many difficult situations in my life, which surprised no one being given the fact that I'm so old. <laughs> but this one is probably the most difficult because how am I going to find words to thank his eminence, to thank the Pope, and all you, my friends, express my gratitude. John Henry generously gives me 10 minutes I hope he has no Swiss watch, because I'm very tempted not to obey him. (laughs) One of the very beautiful things that my husband said to me, not long before his death, do you know what the key to happiness is? Gratitude. So I would like to say a few words about this virtue, which is so crucial in life, and so little practice today. It is basically a response to the goodness of another person. Primarily, the goodness of God. We should wake up in the morning thanking God for existing, for his existence, for existing, and for our faith. We should also thank him for all the gifts that he places on our lives. Let me mention some that I've received because truly I have been blessed. It seems to me that a very special space belongs to my husband. I came to the United States and for about 30 months I lived a very, very wintry time. I'm not going to go into reasons, but it was very difficult. And then through God's grace, On the 27th of November, 1952, I was invited to attend his talk in his very, very modest apartment in New York, very close to Harlem. The moment that he spoke, and the theme was Transformation in Christ, something happened to me. All of a sudden, I was so captivated by his work. I was so captivated by the ardor within this poem that I made the discovery of what philosophy is. I had had two years in Belgium, and I was very impressed by its clarity, but I never convinced myself to major in philosophy. And when I left this apartment in a state of euphoria, as I've rarely known in my life, I knew I was going to devote my life to it. The topic was transformation in Christ, which is his masterpiece, religiously speaking. I didn't know a single word of German, and I knew that the book had not been translated. And I set myself upon studying the language exclusively because I wanted to read the book. And this book has had an absolutely crucial influence in my life. What was so impressive about his delivery was that he shows that philosophy is not an abstract discipline. It is life. It involves my heart. It involves my intelligence and my will. And therefore opens up a vista of greatness and beauty that most of us are not aware of. That is one one of the greatest gifts of my life. And he deserves that I should mention it because my whole work in Hunter, all my writings, whatever I have done, is something that I owe to him. Why? Because he showed to me that what we call Christian philosophy is not an abstraction. It is simply reason baptized by faith. Let me tell you very explicitly, quoting Chesterton, the worst criminals are intellectuals. They're not thieves, they're not bigamists. They're people who distort the very essence of education by infecting the poison of relativism, or empiricism, or whatever it might be. And therefore, this is where the enemy lies, and this is one of the greatest missions in life, is to re-educate our children, mm-hmm. and give them the pure, the pure word of truth. His reason was powerful. Already at the age of 14, he pinned his father and five sisters to the wall, who claimed that everything was relative, and he had the first, last word. But when he converted, he realized the limitations of human reasons, it is powerful and yet it is limited. And I can say the greatest about this work is that he learned that only through faith can reason be properly humbled and find an answer to many questions that otherwise you seek in vain. Therefore to him, I owe my first great thank you. There are two people in this place to whom my spiritual debt is also immense. His Eminence, Cardinal Burke, that I had the privilege of meeting a few years ago. For him to know him has been also a spiritual awakening because to meet a prince of the church, who lives his faith, who expresses his love and other for the redeemer, the one who loves his sheep and is constantly alerting us that the wolf never sleeps. is so conscious of the greatness of faith and the beauty of faith and simultaneously the dangers that we face today. Let us thank God for priests and princess of the church who know how dangerous the situation is today, how dangerous to fall asleep, how dangerous to swallow the lies that are spread all over, relativism, and whatever it might be. He is the true pastor. And once again, his daughter it seems, is immense. This is another one who for the last 25 years, has been my guide and my help, Father Benedict Rochelle, who in spite of his weakness, the kindness of coming kind to man, and I would like to express my gratitude, an immense gratitude for what he has given me and the guidance that he has constantly offered. Then it seems to me that I should also mention a young man of the name of John Henry Crosby, who with a daring, and innocent optimism of youth started an organization having no experience and not a cent of money. And he discovered my husband primarily through his aesthetic writings. A very talented violinist, he had given the career because he developed problems in his shoulder and instead of being defeated, he immediately looked for another thing for which he did devote his life. Frankly. I was a little bit hesitant about giving him permission to do so, as I said, 24 years old, no experience and no money. But there's one thing that he's taught us, that when you love and you have a great intelligence and you put it at the service of truth, you succeed. But obviously, he could never have achieved the success that he has achieved and which reunites us tonight, except through prayers, and to the incredible generosity that are some people in this room who have supported the project helping so generously i do not know whether they would like me to mention their names but i would like to express my immense gratitude for the work that they have done then comes of course innumerable friends there's so many of you that are my friends that have the privilege of calling my friends i cannot possibly Quote them all, my husband said, towards the end of his life, you know, love and happiness, not true love and friendship, are remnants of the earthly paradise. And he's right. You know, in this veil of tears, when we encounter so many difficulties, to have people that you can call a friend is such a joy, is such a comfort, is such a gift. And I'm happy to tell you, I don't know all of you, but all of you became my friend by coming tonight. But those that I know, I thank God for having met them. I thank God for the kindness and generosity. Among them, there is one queen, and the queen is someone that had the blessing of meeting when both of us were in early 20s which is a long, long time ago, and whose friendship and generosity and kindness is such that she deserves to be mentioned, Madeleine Stebbins. So I I think maybe I should mention a hundred, but we have no time for that. Friendship is, I said, a remnant for paradise, because we are meant to be united by a bond of love. And friendship implies that you have a clear vision of what the other person is called to be. You see all these persons' weaknesses, imperfections. You're always willing to forgive them. I have a strong inkling that Aristotle met her. He would have improved considerably. He spoke on ethics in his Nicomachean ethics. Quite apart from the tragedy of Aristotle that he leaves out God, it seems to me that he had seen what a Christian friendship can be like. He would certainly have had insights that were unavailable to a pagan. Mm -hmm. I repeat, what is so remarkable about my husband's message is that he let his reason be baptized by humility is not a theologian; he never claimed to be one, but he was was convinced of the power and greatness of human reason, and always confronted his findings with the teaching of the faith. Shortly before his death, when he solemnly confided his huge literary bequest, and I see that it is huge because I believe that about 70% of it hasn't yet been translated or published. And he turned to me and he said, I give it to you. I confide it to you, but you must promise that you find a single sentence in my writings which is not in full conformity with the teaching of the church, tear it to pieces. This is what it means to be a Catholic philosopher. His love for reason, his consciousness that reason is great and limited, and his passion for truth. At one point, he realized that his heart was giving in. He loved life, and like all of us, he feared death. He was attached to life, he considered it to be a tremendous gift, but at one point, He knew he was going to be called. And this is the moment that he chose to write. In two weeks, a short booklet on gratitude. Shortly followed by another one, a meditation on death. This fearful punishment of original sin. And why fearful? Because God created man with a soul and a body so closely tied together, that the body has influence on the soul and the soul has influence on the body. And if you deny this, you're going to be rightly accused of dualism, which to many people is simply diabolical. It is true indeed, we are body and soul, but the punishment for original sin was so fearful that God decided to punish it by death. And what is death? That the tall, closely knit union between body and soul is torn, and this is why dying is so terrible. On the other hand, we have an immortal soul. Now, the very moment that soul and body are separated, which is going to happen to all of us, and to me possibly very soon, and all that is left of your body is dust and ashes, and your soul is facing God and receiving eternal judgment. This is dualism, a fearful dualism, and this is why dying is so fearful, and this is why the Catholic dogma of the resurrection of the body is something so magnificent to imagine your body and soul severed for thousands of years where is Adam's body today? Where is Eve? And the very same body will rise from the dead and be reunited. That is God's greatness. The last three months of his life, he was constantly meditating on death. He was a communicant, daily communicant, from the day of his baptism on the 11th of April 14. Never wasted, but the last three months of his life, he could never go to mass. I managed to have him people bring communion as often as possible. And a few hours before his death, he had the blessing of having a priest friend brought him communion. He was a strange mixture of Italian and German. His personality was very Italian, and his man was very German. All that I did in my career was simply to transmit his message as faithfully as I do, with sometimes seasoned by French wit, which is something that, as a German, he did not possess. (laughs) At any rate, at any rate, one thing is certain. He received Holy Communion, and then he prayed Anima Christi. A prayer that he had paid his life long, and which he loved very particularly, and I never, never forget. I was kneeling in respect when he came to the words, "You be me command me to come to you," and he said so with an intensity and an ardor that brought tears to my eyes. A few hours later, this was practically his last word. A few hours later. God called him. Now, it is my hope and wish that when I'm dying, which might be very close, I will also say to God, imitating, you be me venerate. And this is a message that I would like to share with all of you. Thank you.